Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Lots of high-end jobs available, but little else. Stratospheric housing costs, homelessness, many schools, digital only for the duration of the pandemic. What is not to love about life in California today? Silicon Valley in particular is flying high, uh, but major regional studies warn the region's housing crisis here in the Bay Area is making it less attractive to tech workers, let alone the rest of us. It is not an easy time to be the mayor of one of the state's biggest cities, but San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo ran for the job. So he's here in this half hour to accept our grilling. Uh, mayor Licardo, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Rachel. You just persuade me to resign. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we're in trouble now. I love this game. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I know you do because I have heard you speak as a booster in so many ways. Uh, so let's let's get to it. If you're ready for this, uh, I'll start with the fact that you chair Big City Mayors, a coalition of mayors from California's 13 largest cities. And along with a number of them, you've been pushing for faster school reopening. Is it even worth it at this point in the school year with just a few months left to go? Well, I think it certainly is worth it for the kids uh, and, and for many parents who are struggling right now financially uh, and are really left, particularly for our, our families who are struggling the most. Uh, too many of these parents are left with a terrible choice between having to uh, care for their child or work outside the home to support their family. Uh, and anything we can do to help get more kids in school obviously helps those who are most severely impacted, which we're seeing from all the studies uh, is is that the most severe impacts are against uh, are really uh, for our poorest students. And so, you know, this is a, a major social injustice. And I, I think the go Governor Newsom is absolutely right that we've got to follow the science, uh, but we haven't been following the science. Uh, the science tells us we can safely reopen, but the politics have not opened our schools. They've opened, you know, bars and marijuana dispensaries and salons, but uh, have left our kids really abandoned in many ways. And, you know, I, I think there's no question that everyone's working hard in Sacramento. Uh, what I've advocated for is if we can't get it done in Sacramento is I think locally counties and, and, and health departments can be working with school districts to prioritize teachers right away, get them vaccinated. Uh, science shows we don't need to do that to do it safely, but certainly if that's the obstacle, uh, let's get it done and focus on our poorest uh, communities where elementary schools need to open most quickly. Uh, and, you know, uh, I think there's a, a path here if, if folks can work together. Uh, but the challenge is, you know, we, we know the elephant in the room is teachers unions been pushing hard against this. 
and I know they want more safety and it's important for the teachers to have a strong union. That's a good thing. But our kids don't have a union and uh, we know who is hurting the most and we've got to advocate for them. We're talking with San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo this half hour. If you've got a question for him, don't delay. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook or email forum at kqed.org. Uh, Don has a question about San Jose's uh, San Jose Waters increased fees. Hello. Right yeah. So, um, yes, uh, they, uh, San Jose is, is uh, petitioning for a 18.73% uh, a, uh, increase on, in their fees. And they have, uh, have uh, <clears throat> had increased profitability in the last two years. They use this profitability to buy uh, Connecticut water for $1.1 billion dollars. Uh, and uh, never, despite the fact that they have had increased profitability for the last uh, several years, the question is that we should not be subsidizing their acquisition efforts to uh, uh, <clears throat> to expand themselves this way using our fees. We need to have a publicly owned utility. Can uh, 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 Mayor Licardo please comment on that? Yeah, I appreciate the, the concern and precisely that concern is what prompted me to set a public hearing to ask executives from San Jose Water to come before the public and the council so that uh, we can ask very important questions about what justifies those kinds of rate increases. San Jose Water Company is a company that serves many communities down here in the South Bay, including San Jose. Uh, and uh, we have obvious concerns with a 19% rate hike, uh, plus an additional 4% if you count the wholesale cost increases imposed by, by Valley Water. Uh, and this is a company that has increased rates uh, more than 60% since, since 2014. So we're all very concerned about that. Uh, the issue of a public takeover is a much more complex one that involves use of eminent domain, and it gets very costly and very litigious. Uh, and I'm not confident at the end of the day uh, taxpayers feel better off having gone through that battle. I have certainly proposed doing so with regard to electrical utilities, not public ownership, but rather customer ownership, that is forming a nonprofit collective. And I think that's a very viable model in the electrical context, particularly when electricity context, I should say, uh, particularly when PG&E was going through its bankruptcy. Unfortunately, that moment has passed and, and we didn't get the support of the state legislature. So uh, we've got to work within the realm of the possible. Uh, and the truth of the matter is the Fifth Amendment imposes some pretty steep costs on public agencies that want to take over private property. We're talking with San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo, uh, and the phones are lighting up, so if you want to be part of the conversation, now is the time to give us a call and join the scrum. I'm sorry, Mayor Licardo. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. 
or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Uh, coming up in just a bit, I, I want to talk with you, uh, Mayor, about the 501c4 organization you've launched called Solutions San Jose. Uh, among other things, it's advocating to reopen schools. I know this is a contentious topic. So, so as we head into this break, uh, I'm going to ask you to think, how is Solution San Jose going to help soften the bitter business versus labor split we see these days in San Jose politics? With that, I'll hit pause and, uh, and say you're listening to Forum, and I'm Rachel Myra. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro, and we're talking with Mayor Sam Licardo right now about uh, the 501c4 organization you recently launched called Solutions San Jose. So I go back to this question. How is this uh, going to be a solve for the bitter business versus labor split we see in San Jose politics these days? Well, I don't propose that we can suddenly solve uh, political issues like uh, deep divisiveness this is a divisive moment, certainly in our nation. And that's reflected in local political discourse in cities throughout California and throughout the country. Uh, but what we do want to do is see if we can solve for basic problems that our residents are facing and that too often are overlooked in all the yelling that's happening from perhaps the most powerful forces or the loudest voices in the extremes. And certainly we see a lot of that yelling happening in social media. And, uh, we see certainly TV news, of course, reputable organizations like NPR would never engage in that, I know. But, but you know, we certainly see the extreme uh, groups that spin up uh, their base through, through no news organizations. And I think a lot of folks are feeling shut out. A lot of folks who maybe live somewhere between the 10-yard lines on the football field uh, who, who aren't ready to join the Trump insurgency on one end or or, or perhaps to, to, to burn down the police station on the other. They actually want to have a civic conversation, a dialogue about how to solve basic challenges. Uh, how do we, we reduce homelessness? Uh, uh, how do we improve public safety? You know, these are the kinds of problems that I think are all too often getting overlooked in some of the larger fights. And that's where we want to insert ourselves. Uh, we think there's a, a broad majority of folks uh, who believe there are solutions that are pragmatic, uh, that may be perhaps less ideological. Uh, and there's a lot of pent up demand, I think, for dialogue and engagement in those kinds of solutions. And we've already seen a really strong response. And when you say we, who, who's we other than, than Sam and, and this vast 
middle majority you're referring to? Yeah, well, I mean, so far we've had more than 2,500 folks sign up in just about, I think, a week. Uh, and so there's clearly a lot of interest. Uh, I'm unquestionably spearheading this. I'm going to be out of it soon because, of course, I'll be out of office in two years. So this will not be just me. We'll be uh, obviously building a volunteer board uh, as well as uh, having staff and so forth. So this organization is going to get built out over time. I think there's been some interest in the organization ever since you know we've weighed in on this issue about schools and so everybody wants to know well who exactly and and what well it's 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 getting built now and what we're seeing is there's an enormous amount of interest and people want to engage and it's going to be you know largely volunteer driven you know that's how uh, information is often communicated today particularly over social media well let's head back to the phones now we've got margaret in santa clara on the line Hi. Hi, Margaret. Um, hi. Thanks for letting me have a question in here. Um, I have a high schooler, and I'm very concerned about the fact that these kids have been out of school for three semesters or going on three semesters. And I would like to know what we are going to do to push back on the union to get these kids back in school. We keep talking and talking and talking, and yet we're almost done with another semester and kids aren't back. Um, we've had grocery workers working the whole time and we haven't seen super spreader events. And yet they're dealing with tons of people coming in and out that they don't know. We've had all kinds of other businesses open. And I just don't understand why we are allowing the union to take over our kids' education and tell us when our kids can go back to school. And I can take that uh, response off air. Thank you, Margaret. Yeah, I think that's a frustration that's that's shared among many parents that I'm hearing from. Um, and, and the reality is, you know, these decisions are fundamentally made within school districts. We have more than a thousand in the state of California. In my own city of San Jose, we have 19 school districts that have 19 school boards and 19 superintendents. Uh, and so it's difficult for any of us to say from the from the outside hey, let's go get this done. We have to do this in a collaborative way. And what I'm encouraging is, look, I, you know, I, I've clearly identified, and I'm not shy from the fact that, uh, yes, teachers unions have been, you know, strongly opposed in many cases to opening uh, without a lot of other things happening. Uh, and I'd like to see if we can get past that opposition to just see if we can get local counties to agree Let's focus on what is the lowest hanging fruit. The safest places to open are elementary schools. That's what all the data shows. Children under 10 are very are much less likely to be conveyors of COVID. And, and we know uh, that uh, it's much safer for teachers in that environment. Let's start there and see if we can just vaccinate, you know, 50 schools, say, in Santa Clara County, where we could do that with less than 2% of the vaccine allocation for any given week. Uh, if we were just working together and we could get those schools open. It seems to me with simple agreements like this, uh, we could move much more aggressively. I know the fights between unions and, and everybody else are all, are all happening in Sacramento. I'd like to see if we can get past those fights just to get to solutions and get schools open. Well, the conversation, uh, it seems, uh, is focused on schools. And, and uh, so we've got another call on this topic. Uh, Fatima in San Jose, are you with us? Yes. Hi. I'm both a parent to a toddler as well as an educator. And I want to push back on the idea that 
it's teachers' unions that are not wanting schools to reopen. I'm an educator, and I feel unsafe going back into a classroom um, where we have systems that don't allow for airflow. We have lots of students in one room. We don't have the infrastructure to go out and and safely have 30, 40 students um, in, in six feet distance. So I think it's really unfair to kind of pit teachers against students or teachers against families because we're actually both and we have a right to be safe. Um, and until we all are able to access the second dose of the vaccine and any boosters that go along with it for the variants, um, you know, I think this push to reopen schools um, isn't right. So th- thank you for allowing me that comment. Sure thing, Fatima. You know, uh, Sam, I, I think we'll, we'll move on to uh, some other topics because I, I know that there are a lot can of I, people can who... Can I just respond very oh, briefly? Sure. Yeah. I think this is really important. You know, Fatima's yeah. right. Teachers do have a right to be safe. Uh, and, and it's really important we follow the science here. And what Anthony Fauci has said clearly, and Rochelle Walensky, who's Joe, Joe Biden's appointee to the CDC and the California Department of Health, what they're all saying is that schools, particularly elementary schools, can be reopened safely. And we're seeing it throughout the country. We're just not seeing it in California. And so we absolutely need to do it safely. Uh, and we can. And I've even proposed, look, we can accelerate vaccinations if that's what we need to do. But we've got to work together to get there. So a ne- uh, the next big question I have for you has to do with homelessness. Tell me what San Jose has been up to during the pandemic to help the unhoused, especially downtown. Well, thanks. You know, we, we've got a lot of work happening with the county, nonprofits, uh, moving more than 3,000 people into shelter, more than 1,600 unhoused residents into permanent housing. All that we know is is really in person. This is just during the pandemic. So, you know, there's a lot of work being done while people are are trying to also address the pandemic issues. But but, but what we know is none of it is enough, uh, given the scale of the challenge we have. Uh, just here in Santa Clara County, about 10,000 unhoused residents, more than 30,000 throughout the Bay Area. And, and nobody's going to go out there and build housing <laughs> uh, to make a profit. We know that because homeless individuals cannot pay. And so this is overwhelmingly on the public sector. And it costs about $700,000 uh, per apartment to build affordable housing anywhere in the Bay Area these days, at least in the South Bay and San Francisco. And it also takes four or five years. So we know that's not a solution that we can scale to attack the magnitude of this problem. It would be a $7 billion task just in our county alone. So we've got to bend the cost curve and we have to find ways to do it more quickly. And what we've discovered during this pandemic is, you know, with the governor's help in getting CEQA waivers in place with some state funding and our emergency declaration, which has moved a lot of red tape out of the way, we can move very quickly with prefabricated modular housing on public land. Some of it was we've leased from Caltrans in in one site, two sites where we're building on city land. We've got a four site underway. And we're seeing real interest in philanthropy now because what they're seeing is a model that's enabling us to to build rapidly in four months rather than in four years. And we're building housing at maybe 90 or 100, $110,000 per unit rather than at $700,000 per unit. And these are safe, dignified housing units. These are apartments, really dorm housing with with bathrooms and so forth. Uh, And we're looking to see if we can scale this model. We've already built out on three sites. 
More than 300 home, unhoused individuals have moved in, a lot of families, by the way, as well. We've now got a foresight. We've got a lot of philanthropic interest. One philanthropist came in at $5 million to help us build this out. Uh, and very grateful to Peter Powell and Susanna Powell for that. And, and I think there's a lot of interest because we're on to something that can really scale and tackle this problem. And so I want to continue to push on this and keep the accelerator down. You've been channeling former Governor Jerry Brown lately with your your push to streamline CEQA, or we should really say the California Environmental Quality Act, uh, to accelerate production of affordable housing and also transit. Uh, how critical is is uh, SB seven in Sacramento for for San Jose's downtown West, the the big development project you've been cooking up with Google? Yeah, certainly it's very important for us for the more than 4,000 housing units. By the way, a quarter of those are going to be rent restricted and affordable. So the 4,000 housing units, that 7 million square feet, all the 15 acres of parks, all the things that are going to get built in this project, which is tremendous, obviously, for any city. But, you know, it points to a larger need. I mean, we're pushing like heck on this bill uh, because this exemption has been in place for five years and now we want to extend it. And I'm grateful to Senator Pro Temp Tony Atkins for her leadership on this. But but the reality is we shouldn't have to keep pushing on these kinds of exemptions uh, when the reality is projects like this are the most environmentally sensitive we possibly could build. You know, we're building all this density right around the largest transit station in the region. Uh, and, and we're doing it in a way, Google's committed, they're gonna do it with zero uh, net emissions. Uh, there's gonna be enormous amount of infrastructure including a microgrid that's going to really set a new standard for environmental sustainability. But we need to go through all these hoops. And I think any environmentalist would say, uh, we, let's just promote the, the development that's good uh, rather than creating years of sequel litigation that can hold this up. And, and so we need to get beyond sort of the Swiss cheese approach of creating exemptions. And we need to rewrite the law in a way that enables uh, envir environmentally friendly affordable housing, infill housing to move forward, particularly where it's transit oriented. Uh, and, and, and rather than sort of the, you know, 15 or 20 exemptions that are on the books where nobody really knows when they expire, whether they're going to apply to my project or not, it's impairing our ability to really move forward. This is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. We're talking with San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo, and no conversation about San Jose would be complete without a check-in about the police department. Aside from the newest proposed housing option for homeless people in the PD's overflow parking lot, you've got four finalists, am I right, looking to replace the police chief? Anything you can tell us about them? I, I'm not authorized to say anything. <laughs> I didn't say we got four great candidates. Uh, we've got a, a department that is rebuilding and uh, doing a tremendous job with not nearly enough police officers. In fact, we have the smallest force of any major city in the country per capita. Uh, so uh, whoever's going to take this role is just going to need to figure out how we can continue to do more with less. And, um, you know, I'm grateful we've got good candidates ready to lead. Well, I'll just say there, there are three internal commanders and an ex one external prospect from Pittsburgh. And I'm pretty sure I heard uh, uh, a news report the other day pointing out that it has been many, many decades since uh, San Jose PD had uh, an external candidate actually land the police chief job. Any thoughts on that? 
Well, in some ways, it's testament to the fact that we've had a department that is really many ways set a standard. You know, any given time, typically there are 10 or 15 police chiefs throughout the Bay Area uh, that used to be San Jose police officers. We believe we groom uh, the chiefs and we tend to pick our own because uh, of that understandable belief that we've got a certain set of standards, particularly around accountability, um, you know, a a real focus on uh, de-escalation, on on data and accountability with regard to uh, to, to racial uh, bias and a whole host of issues that we have seen really explode over the last two years. And we've got a lot more work to do in those areas. So, so we're not going to reduce our standards in any way when we hire a chief. Um, I would say, I think there's no question. There's been a lot of criticism of the department lately. And so it encourages us to be looking nationwide for the best and brightest talent that we can bring here. And so, you know, we've been open to that and we'll find out through the interviews and the process uh, who rises to the top. Well, let's grab another phone call. We've got Karen. Hi, Karen. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I'm curious if, given that folks are now working more remotely or from home, and that's likely that many of them will continue to do so even after the pandemic, if there's been any thought put towards utilizing existing parking structures um, in terms of establishing housing, infill housing, and transforming those parking structures into some type of housing. Thank you. Karen, really appreciate the question. Uh, absolutely. I think there is going to be a lot of rethinking of cities and how we're built over the next several years as a result of the pandemic and all the, the changes that have resulted. I would say this, though, I, I would not discount uh, the fact that uh, what existed before with regard to the need for people to be at work um, is, I believe that's still going to be an important element for a lot of creative industries and industries that really rely on innovation and rely on uh, smart people who are in the same space, having those creative collisions, collisions, whether they're at the the water cooler or, or in the break room or anywhere else, Um, I am hearing time and again from employers about the concern of the loss uh, of human interaction and what that does to their ability to innovate and to have conversations across the silos within their organizations. Uh, So, look, Zoom's been great. Uh, We know it's it's the best alternative uh, given the situation. But I think you're going to see more employers than you might expect go back to a model, at least here in Silicon Valley, where where for a significant amount of time every week, they're going to expect people to be in the same space. I know there have been lots of announcements to the contrary. Uh, I'm still bullish on workspace. I think there's value to it. A real quick question before we head out uh, from Petra. What are we doing about the Guadalupe Gardens encampment? Yeah, you know, we've got a real challenge there because uh, the more than 200 uh, unhoused residents who are there um, who have been there for some time, and I was I was out there just a couple of weeks ago, and we we're distributing food and, and discussing some of the challenges with regard to access to water and so forth. Um, th- they're in an airport approach area, and the FAA is pretty clear about where people can be and where they can't be um, when planes are landing and taking off. And so, at some point, um, I expect the feds will tell us, uh, as they have told us in the past, as recently as a year and a half ago, uh, that we're going to have to 
move uh, residents. And obviously I want to move them somewhere. So we're building a development project right now uh, that would hopefully house about 90 of those residents uh, just on the other side of the freeway. Uh, and we've got to obviously build a lot more affordable housing. Thank you so much. We've been talking with San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo this half hour. Clearly, we could fill a couple of hours just talking to you. Um, you have been listening to Forum. Continue the conversation online at kqed.org forum. Thank you all for joining us. I'm Rachel Myro. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.